Good morning. Awesome. Hey, before I get started, I have two announcements that they asked me to make. The first is uh, there are some coloring pages out there for your kids. I guess adults can do them too if they get bored. But for the children out, out there, um, you can get those. It'll help with the, the message, or they can listen to me, one of the two. And the other is uh, I wanted to welcome back all of the college students that have come back to spend the holidays with their families. So if you're here uh, and you're a college student, why don't you go ahead and stand? We'd love to just clap for you and acknowledge that you're back. Okay. Welcome back. I bet all your friends in college are probably envious that you get to travel all the way back to China. So we're glad to have you. Okay. Um, did you guys have a good Christmas? Were you naughty or nice? Did you get the, uh, I don't even know what the toy is, the, the Tickle Me Elmo Cabbage Patch Kid of the Day? So, you know, we had a great Christmas. Uh, one of the things that I got was, was a really bad sinus infection. Uh, so, if it's okay, I'll probably be sitting down a lot as, I, as I'm sharing this. Uh, I started antibiotics last night, but I'm still a little under the weather. Um, but I'm glad to be here. Uh, the last several weeks, we've been talking about different characters of the nativity. Uh, two weeks ago, during the candlelight service, we talked about the wise men and how they sought the Savior. Then last week, we talked about uh, Mary and how she experienced the Savior as she was able to trust, as she was able to obey, and as she was able to, to watch and see what, what the Lord is doing. And then today, we're going to talk about the shepherds. And so I'm really excited to see more about, about the shepherds as we t- dialogue about that. But let me pray for us real quick. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to share. I pray that you would just give me energy and strength, um, help me to have clarity of mind. I pray that you would really be opening our hearts as we look at your word. I pray that you would help us to, to see, like the shepherds, the, the need to, to share the good news. Father, thank you for the good news that you entrust into really fallible hands, but it's such an infallible message that even despite us, you can use us, Lord. Father, we thank you. It's your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I want you to imagine that you are a research scientist. You know, when I graduated from college for for one year, I worked as a biochemist. And so, imagine that you are a research scientist somewhere, I don't know, in a lab somewhere here in China, and in the process of researching some important virus, you discover something new, something amazing. Um, But what you discover doesn't make sense, because as you look at it more and more, you realize that you discover a new strain of a virus, and this virus has affected everybody on the earth. But, But you're thinking, well, that includes me. And as you research it more and more, you realize that this, this virus is actually 100% fatal, that everybody's going to die from it. And you start thinking, well, I don't know, I, I don't feel sick. So even you have a hard time believing it. But the data is right there in front of you in black and white. It's saying that you are going to die from this virus. So the most important medical discovery of your entire life that you made you can't really share with the world. Because if you shared that with the world, it would create mass panic and chaos. People would be rioting in the streets. Governments would be overthrown. 
So what do you do? You decide, well, I need to buckle down and keep researching. And so you, you research more and more and more, and thankfully, after months or years of researching, you, you actually discover the cure. And so you say, okay, well, now is the time for me to, to present my findings to the world. And so you call a press conference, and the press conference actually is very sparsely attended. Not too many people come. And those that come actually don't agree with you. They say, I don't know, I, I don't feel sick. And you, and you say, well, I had the virus, and I didn't feel sick, and I gave myself the vaccine that I, that I created, and I don't, I'm fine now. And people are saying, well, I don't know. I don't know about this. I, I don't feel sick. So you also become the laughing stock of the, of the scientific community. I mean, scientists are talking about how you don't know what you're talking about and, and everything. And so if this was you, what would you do? Would you say, well, I don't know. Maybe I should just let them believe they're, they're not going to die and, and walk away. I, I wouldn't do that. Even though I know that I, I'm being ridiculed for having this belief, what I know is true. And the truth gives me confidence to, to share. And in many ways, that's the gospel. There's a lot of people that, that, as we tell them about hell, as we tell them about how they need to have a relationship with God, they treat us like that. They treat us like we have no right to tell them. But what would you do? I, I think if, I, if it was a virus, I would passionately try and convince them. And I really believe that as we look at the gospel, we need to passionately try and, try and share with other people. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so let's do that by looking at the shepherds. Luke 2, 8 to 20 says, And there were shepherds living, in, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of, heavenly ho- of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So today I wanted to look at three things as we look at the shepherds um, that I think will also be relevant to us as as we think about proclaiming the Savior. And so the first thing I want to look at is the shepherds weren't experts. The second thing I want to look at is the shepherds were available. And the third thing I want to look at is the shepherds were compelled. So the shepherds weren't experts. You know, I often wonder why, why were they invited to the party? They're just shepherds. They weren't pastors or evangelists. They weren't the scribes or the Pharisees or the rabbis of their day. These men were most likely unschooled, ordinary men. 
There were shepherds, and back in those days, and even today, shepherds spend most of their time in solitude without other people. So not only were the shepherds uneducated, but they were also very much marginalized. Shepherds were considered very low on the social, I don't know what you call that, class system. And, but yet, God sent angels to invite them to the party. And to me, that's very encouraging. You know, it'd be the equivalent of if President Obama came to, to Beijing and we, we were in charge of inviting people and we went out and invited migrant workers to visit with President Obama. It just seems too hard to believe. Like, we, not the politicians, but migrant workers. Not the CEOs of the international uh, companies in Beijing or the... <coughs> the leaders of the military, but migrant blue-collar workers. To me, that's reassuring. To me, it, it shows us just how Jesus truly is a gift for all people. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the wise men came to the party and how that shows us that, that Jesus was a gift not just to, to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. I really believe that the shepherds show us that, that Jesus is a gift to all people, regardless of our social social status. It also reminds me of the disciples. The disciples were, were also blue-collar, ordinary men. I love the verse in Acts 4.13 that says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So, the, um, Peter and John, the disciples, were a lot like the shepherds unschooled, ordinary men. You know, they didn't have all the right answers. They weren't professors. They didn't know the right theological responses necessarily. But God was able to use them. When I first became a Christian, I was obsessed with apologetics. Now, apologetics is just a fancy word uh, used to say basically defending the Christian faith. I remember in college, I would stand up and argue with my professors uh, about the existence of God I knew all these fancy terms like the cosmological argument and the teleological argument and all these different things. And, but what I realized is what I need to share with people is, is the gospel. And don't get me wrong, I think we do need to have answers at times, but I think that if I had all the right answers for somebody, they still wouldn't necessarily trust Christ unless they were willing to take that step of faith. The Bible says no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them near. And so, for me, I used to be really afraid to share my faith because I was afraid, what if they ask a question that I didn't know the right answer to? But as I've grown in my faith, I've realized, you know what, that's okay. There are a lot of hard questions out there. And I don't want that to stop me from sharing my faith. It shouldn't stop you guys from sharing your faith. Because even if you gave them all the right answers, there's a lot of people that still wouldn't trust Christ. Because it's really God drawing their hearts to, to him, not us having the right answers. So our job is not to convince other, other people into the kingdom. We can't do that. So if it's the Lord's work, what, what, what is my work? Well, when I was in college, a friend of mine shared, shared this definition of successful witnessing, and I wanted to share it with you guys right now. I love this definition. The, to be honest, the word witnessing is a little strange. 
that word seems kind of old to me, kind of like evangelizing or proselytizing. But basically what a witness is, is when you think of a trial, it's just somebody that shares what they've seen and what they've heard from their own personal perspective. And this is exactly what the shepherds did. It said the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So our job is to share with other people, going out in the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's God's job to produce the results. It's God's job to change people's hearts. Now, I, I think I, there are ways in which I need to, to probably learn how I can clearly communicate the gospel, but at the same time, ultimately, it comes down to God working in their hearts, which, to be honest, takes a lot of pressure off of me. Because I used to think that as I talk to somebody, their salvation is dependent on me. But that's just pride in my own heart and arrogance. But it's God that's working through them. So we need to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. You know, I used to be afraid to share, share my faith with people because I wasn't an expert. But the reality is, is I am an expert. I'm an expert of my own life because I lived it. And that's what I can share with people as I share the gospel. I can share how, how God has transformed Eric Newcomb. Because I know more about that than anybody. And I can share with people that. You know, one, years ago, I met a, met a guy named Lee. And Lee was a student and just a lot of fun to be with. And in the course of getting to know him, Lee had a lot of questions. And he was asking me all these different questions about, about God. And, and through the course of getting to know him... Lee trusted Christ, and it was just a joy for me to see Lee not only trust Christ, as I shared with him, but to start growing in his faith. Well, Lee had a roommate named Bo, and Lee decided that Bo needed to know the Lord as well. And so Lee calls me and says, hey, Eric, can can I get together with you and Bo, and can you share the gospel with Bo? And so I said, sure. And so I met with Bo and started... Bo was asking me a lot of questions about, about the gospel, and it was great. I mean, we had a really great dialogue. I went through the gospel with this four-point outline that we have called the Four Spiritual Laws that kind of helps you clearly explain the gospel, and I got to the end, and Bo was like, you know what, Eric? I like you. I like this discussion, but this is just not for me. And I said, Okay. That's totally fine. I mean, he has the right to do that. And, and, and so I said, you know what, Bo? I just want you to really consider it, and I'll be praying for you. And, and that was the last time I saw Bo, until a year later when I got a phone call from him. And he said, hey, Eric, do you remember that little four-point outline that you shared with me? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I think I need to hear that again. And so, so I met with Bo, and... It was great. I mean, as before we got into the, the, the gospel, he started sharing with me some things that have happened in his family that have been very difficult. I, I could totally see the hand of God kind of working in his life. And uh, so as I shared the gospel with him, then he trusted Christ. And so when we look at that definition of successful witnessing, I shared with Bo the first time, and then I shared with him the second time, which one was more successful? Well, according to the definition, they, they were equally successful because I went out in the power of the Holy Spirit and I left the results to God. But it was encouraging to me that, 
you know, I love the Bible verse where it says, Paul planted it, Apollos watered it, but it's God that causes the growth. And so God used me in Bo's life to plant a seed, and then God continued to work throughout Bo's life. And then a, a year later, when Bo gave me a call, God used me again to, to really help Bo understand the gospel even more. And so I, I love that story because it shows that success isn't dependent on, on me. God can work through people's lives. So we can see that, first, the, the, the shepherds weren't experts, which is great because the disciples weren't experts, which is great because I don't think anybody here probably feels like they're an expert. So I think we're in good company. The second thing I want to talk about is the shepherds were available. It says, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So here we see that these men were available to go see the Messiah. You know, the Bible doesn't clearly tell us how that happened. I don't know if they left their, their, their sheep in the field and, and went to go, to go see Jesus. You know, the disciples, they often talked about how they left their nets. A lot of them were fishermen. They left their nets to go follow the Lord. Here, maybe the shepherds left their sheep. We don't know. But what are some things that we need to lay down in order to truly follow him and make ourselves available. When I think of being available to God, I think of really two things. The first thing is time. I think for me that's probably the hardest thing. Is I've got three, three kids. If I'm not at work, I'm at home with them, playing games and having fun. I want to be there with, with JJ and the kids. Um, but is my time available for God? What do, and what, what does that look like? And the second thing is not only time, but a willingness. Am I available to God to be used? Am I willing to be used by him? So what about you guys? Do you think of yourselves as being available to God? Do you have time set aside to, to, to really be used by him? I know when I went back to America, I was amazed just how... It's exhausting trying to keep up with my, my brother's family or my, my sister-in-law's family as they've got... JJ's sister has a schedule, and it's, like, color-coded, and, I don't know, this parent is at this soccer match with this kid, and this parent is at this recital with this kid, and their entire time is completely blocked off and to the point where they have to actually hire people to take their kids to other different... Uh, I don't know, extracurricular activities. And it's exhausting. And so what I've started realizing is, do I have even margin in my life that if God were to say, you know what, Eric? You've been getting to know your neighbors, but you have no time for them. Do I have margin in my life that now I do have time that we could invite them over for a meal to get to know them, to, to share our faith with them? So do you, have, do you have time? Do you have a willing heart? You know, I love the Isaiah 6, 8 verse where it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. So is that the attitude of our heart? Are we thinking, Here I am, Lord, send me. So not only do we know the shepherds weren't experts, and they were available, 
But we also know that they were compelled. I love the picture just of they, they meet Jesus as a baby, but yet they can't help go tell him on the mountain. They can't help leave that spot changed, excited to share with everybody all that they had seen and heard. And it reminds me of uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14 that says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. You know, one of the worst things I think that could happen today is for you to go out of here and go, well, you know, Eric talked about sharing our faith and how we need to do that, and therefore I'm going to do that out of guilt and shame. That's not what we want. God wants you to experience him, and from that overflow comes our, uh, from that overflow of our walk with him comes our ministry. And I, I, we don't need to perform for God. He loves us just the way we are. But I love this verse because it's Christ's love that compels, compels us. Do we have that in our hearts? Is Christ's love compelling us to share with other people? Matthew nine thirty six says, When they saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So do we see people like that? I know as I'm driving in my car, it's easy for me to, to be angry and frustrated with the people that cut me off, or I'm on a crowded subway or a crowded bus, and all I can think about is, why can't I have a seat? Instead of looking at this, these multitudes, like Jesus looked at the multitudes. He was able to have eyes that were able to see them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I struggled to do that. So one of my prayers often is to ask God to, to, to give me those eyes. That's what I would encourage you to do. If, if, you're, if you're right now thinking, boy, I, there are people I probably could share my faith with, but I don't feel like Christ's love is compelling me, or I don't feel like I have those eyes, then I would say take that to him. Really ask him to give you those. Because I think if we had compassion on them like Jesus did, his love really would compel us, just like the shepherds were compelled to go so the next thing I wanted to share with you is, is the, what they call the angle scale. And what the angle scale, I, I'm not very good at graphics and stuff. It's a little basic. But uh, basically, it's a scale from negative 10 to 10. And in the middle is zero. And zero is when somebody has a point of decision for Christ. And so maybe a negative 10 is somebody that doesn't believe in God, very atheistic, very strong in their disagreement with him. Maybe a negative one is somebody that is attending church but hasn't made that decision yet. So you can see the scale, negative 10 to 10. You know, I think we often want to be the person that takes people from negative one to zero. We often want to be the one that shares and... Because and, and, it's exciting. It's exciting to see somebody trust Christ. But sometimes it's just as important to be the person that takes somebody maybe from a negative seven to a negative three. As I live my life of faith in the public, as, I, as, as people see that I walk the walk, you know, I heard, I forget his name, but I love the, the, the quote, your walk talks, your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And so as we do that, 
as we, as we walk the walk, and people see our lives, and they're different, but it's not just enough to, to live our lives out in front of them. We have to clearly communicate the gospel as well. And so as we do those things, people are able to be changed. And so what I would encourage you to do is to, to put yourself in close proximity with nonbelievers. It could be your IE, it could be taxi drivers, it could be local friends, it could be, it could be expats. You know, I meant to bring it, but I forgot. There's a magazine, I think it's, I get them mixed up, That's Beijing or one of those magazines I was looking at just this week, and it had a, a poll, a survey. Um, even on the front cover, it said it was unscientific, so take it for what it is. But, but one of the questions that they asked was, do you go to church? And it was interesting because only, I think it was only 6.8% of the expats that answered the survey said that they go to church. So there's, there's a huge harvest field even here in Beijing among the expats. And, you know, they had locals do the, Chinese do the survey as well, and they actually had a higher percentage. They were at like 9% uh, going to church, even more than the expats here in Beijing. And so that's a great opportunity for us. You know, Capital's done, I feel like it has done a great job of getting people to come to church, and through that, people trusting Christ, and that's just been so exciting. And I really think that if we were able to um, mobilize this body, we could really impact not just Shunyi, not just Beijing, but the world. And that, and that really excites me. So the angle scale is an encouragement to me because sometimes when I'm talking to somebody about God and, and they don't trust Christ, that's okay because I went out in the power of the Holy Spirit and I left the results to God. And maybe I brought them one step closer. You know, I heard... I heard a statistic that somebody needs to hear the... I mean, this was Americans. I don't know how it would impact Chinese or even expats living in Beijing. But an, Ameri- an average American needs to hear the gospel seven times before they trust Christ. And so I always want to be that seventh person. But that's okay if I'm, I'm, I'm the first or the second. And I, so I just wanted to encourage you that people might... Think, think back to what I shared in the beginning about about the, if you're a research scientist, some people might be resistant to, what, to the answers that you have. And that's okay. The gospel is going to offend people. As long as it's the gospel and not us offending, I think that's fine. And I think for me, you know, a, a few weeks ago I shared my personal testimony, and in it, it involved the death of two of my high school friends. And after, first my friend Ronnie died in a car accident, and then six months later my my friend Andrea died in a car accident. And it was actually at Andrea's funeral that I trusted Christ. And not long after that, I really felt like this vision came to me of me standing on a, I liked liked music, non-Christian music back then, so I had this vision of the stairway to heaven, like Led Zeppelin, and, and I was standing on this stairway going up to heaven waiting to get in, and I saw my friend Ronnie, who was not a believer. Or I had somebody else, a neighbor or a friend, tap me on the shoulder and say, Eric, why didn't you tell me, knowing that when they get to the, to the gates that they're going to be turned away from heaven? And that image haunted me, and it really gave me a a passion and a desire to tell people about God. 
I really feel like from that, Christ's love did compel me. And I wasn't an expert, but I was available. I was willing. So, let me pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for how you move in our lives. Thank you that uh, your love does compel us. Father, there are uh, many people in China and many people in the world that need to know you. Your harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Lord, I pray that you would just be moving in and through us. Give us faith to take steps of faith to move forward in that. Give us courage to uh, share our faith with people. Even now, Lord, I pray that you would be laying on each person's heart here two or three people that they could could take a step of faith to, to share the gospel with, even this week. Father, would you just be with, be with us this week as we, uh, as we move forward? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you help us to go out in the power of your spirit and leave the results to you? It's in your name I pray. Amen.